Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today we're talking about how to change an unhealthy drinking culture at work. A recent study found that when employers or supervisors initiate drinking events, which is so common, employees feel obligated to participate. And with 40% of Americans who consume alcohol, who also drink too much of it, Linking drinking to work is obviously not ideal for people who are trying to cut back or who are questioning their relationship with alcohol. Recent articles in Slate and in the Washington Post and Women's Business Daily have been running talking about how companies should end office happy hours because employees have workplace drinking anxiety because of them, and also about workplaces having a drinking culture and a problem and office drinking culture and why it is toxic. So I'm excited to have my guest on. Her name is Tessa Lowe. And after over a decade of problematic drinking, she found herself at a crossroads during the pandemic. Tessa is a self-proclaimed ex-wine mom that hit her own personal rock bottom in December of 2020. Tessa was inspired to start posting on TikTok about her own recovery and help change the way people think about alcohol and drinking. She now works with both individuals and employers to help create both personal and organizational change. Tessa is also a good friend of mine. We met at the She Recovers conference in Miami this year. We found out that we both live in Seattle and have kids of similar ages, and Tessa has been kind enough to create an amazing mini course for my Sobriety Starter Kit online sober coaching course on exactly how to overcome alcohol cravings. So Tessa, welcome. I am so glad you're here. Casey, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to talk to you today. Yeah, I am too. And you... 
And I know this is a topic that you're really passionate about because you worked in HR for so long and benefits. So can you tell me a little bit about what you're seeing and why it's concerning for you? Yeah, I think, you know, drinking at work, we kind of like can all take us back to like the Mad Men era, like the 1990s and think about like that type of drinking and how that's kind of like not a thing anymore. The concern now is more of this quiet quitting trend that's happening. It's where employers are really not putting people first. And that is eerily similar to me in the whole recovery area where um, we really put um, the people, it's the people that are the problem, not the substance. Mm -hmm. And that is very concerning because I really think it's all related if the um, employee's mental health is not being taken care of, obviously salary is a big part of the quiet quitting, but mental health is a close second. So companies really are not prioritizing mental health and the well-being of their employees. And, and that's why we're seeing this trend, which really should be called um, quiet firing, not quiet quitting, because it really does put the blame on the employee when it's really yeah. the employer's responsibility. Yeah. And I remember back in the day um, when I came to a startup company in Seattle, it was way back in the 2000s. I'm dating myself and they were about to IPO and the culture was so unhealthy at the time. I mean, they would every week when they were onboarding new employees, the employees were responsible for going out and getting a keg and taking it around to everyone's desk and getting them drinks on Fridays at 3 p.m. They had bunk beds in the workplace so that people could sleep, you know, if they were spending the night there because of working or let's face it, because of partying. And the entire time I was working, going out for drinks with your colleagues to bitch about work, to commiserate about work or with your team to bond was huge. I mean, that's what it was all about. And when I was drinking, I absolutely loved it, right? That was fabulous. But as I was questioning my drinking, as I was trying to stop drinking, and when I finally sort of told people to start that I was taking a 100-day break from alcohol, it was really difficult. We had the office happy hours when we, as a team, did a great job. There were bottles of champagne on our desks on Monday mornings. Um, team events were involved drinking, right? So it's difficult if you're worried about your drinking or trying to stop when you not only have to deal with your girlfriends and your spouse and society, but also your boss. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. Yeah, for sure. And I think that is almost worse because we have this perception. I mean, there's still a stigma out there. You and I are loud and proud, but the reality is most people are not. And when um, when you have to say it out loud to your boss or your coworkers, it it still can seem um, like some type of weakness, and that you've been, you know, 
not performing and all of that. So there's so much that goes along with sharing, um, sharing that, that you might have an issue at work. So, yeah. And I, I relate so much. I mean, I think now it's still, it's still a thing. I'm, I'm also going to date myself because we had, we had, um, uh, in the 2000s, the taxi vouchers, but I know now still employers offer Uber code and, and, you know, they offer these Uber codes where it's like, I mean, it's like a hall pass to just get wasted on the company dime and then go home, you know, get home safely, hopefully. But it's encouraging that like binge overindulging and binging at work by offering, you know, these codes. So it's like a catch 22. I think with the, the, um, you know, having drinks at work, employers want you to relate to your coworkers, have fun, loosen up. They want to like create that morale and the camaraderie. But at the same time, it's a slippery slope because then you get into, you know, so many issues and it's like the cost benefit. It's, it's really at the end of the day, not worth it. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, there is one thing about pushing employees to drink. And I actually do know a lot of workplace cultures that, you know, actually their colleagues, their boss, they want them to drink with them. I actually, that's one of the biggest things I work with my clients on when they're going to biz on business trips, when they're going out to working events where there's drinks everywhere, it's so common and sort of coaching them through how to navigate that, what to say, how to take care of themselves in those situations. So that's one thing, but it's also an issue that there isn't an awareness that not everyone drinks or wants to drink and there's no options for non-drinkers, right? Like there's two different cocktail options at holiday parties, but if you don't drink, it's Diet Coke and seltzer. Oh my God. Yes. I had um, one of my breaks, I had multiple attempts on um, trying to quit, but I was at a holiday party on one of my two week stints and I had asked for a Pellegrino and it came in a, in a glass that was clearly a water glass. And it, you know, there were coworkers, people around me. And I was like whispering to this bartender, can you just put it in a glass? So it looks like a drink with a lemon. And it's like, we shouldn't have to explain ourselves. We need like, I think that's a big, a big one is to have those options. Like a fun non-alcoholic drink. There's yeah. so many different beers, wines, um, you know, that are alcohol free. They're they're really that shouldn't be a thing anymore. Yeah. And having a trained bartender that can, you know, handle these um and welcome everyone, not just, you know, the people that are indulging in the booze. Yeah, I completely agree. And a lot of this is just awareness. I hope that it's changing a bit with the whole sober curious trend and more Gen Z and millennials deciding not to drink. I have to say that the biggest drinking population are really Gen Xers and baby boomers, especially are the biggest drinkers. And being a Gen Xer myself, we're the ones in charge of a lot of companies right now, just based on our age. And so, you know, I think it's, it's education. I have to say, when you actually do, this is why I love the work you're doing in talking to companies about it. So obviously, I have an in with my husband. He is on the admin committee of his private school. He's the head of a private middle school. And I used to go to all their you know, parent gathering events, and they didn't have any non-alcoholic options. And of course, because I talked to him all the time, I was like, kind of, what the fuck, dude? Like come on, you got to have non-alcoholic beer. You have to have non-alcoholic options. Not everyone drinks. And so, you know, at the latest um, gala kind of event where they get everybody to donate money, they not only had non-alcoholic beer, but they had a whole separate table at like a bar table. They had alcoholic options and then they had non-alcoholic options and both were pretty fancy. And I was like, that is amazing. You know, and I was not the only one grabbing a non-alcoholic beer. I wasn't, you know? That is amazing. I mean, every company organization needs a KC just like in the, <laughs> you're right. It's just, it's like when I was in it and I was the one, of course, pushing and promoting oh, God, yes. at that time, <laughs> but it's, 
it's the normies even. It's like, if you're a normie, it's just having that awareness and knowing, because a lot of this is just what we've been doing, especially for our generation. It's like, well, this is what we do. And it's, I mean, sometimes you want to connect with the younger generation. So it feels like, well, this is what we do, but it's really not. And I think showing that, and it's so important, the statistic that you mentioned in the beginning um, with the managers, I mean, that's really where the responsible responsibility comes. It's like showing that it's not a thing so that it doesn't become a thing for, for the younger generation um, is just so incredibly important. And then on what you mentioned about like, you know, hosting them at these wineries and breweries, it's like making sure that these are, these are places where it's like, it's not, the booze is not the center of the entire event. I think it's critical um, where people, you know, you won't get the automatic no and everyone feels welcome and, and included in the event. It's really important. Yeah. And it's not to say that you wouldn't serve alcohol at some events. It's just, having other options, not making it the focus. Like you said, I had um, a friend of mine who had a work mixer. She really wanted to go, everyone's remote, meet your coworkers, but it was being held at a winery, wine tasting room in the Woodenville wine area, which we both live next to, where there are 90 wine tasting rooms. And she was, you know, four months alcohol free and actually decided not to go because she's like, there are going to be other events where, you know, where we can mix, where we can meet that aren't at a winery. But that obviously is a really difficult thing to navigate. Oh, yeah, I would. I basically said no to everything for the first six months. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, and I think now it's like, you know, there people are trying to get, you know, employees back to work. And there's less of this like Zoom happy hour and more like enticing people to go places. So I can also see the other side of it. It's like you're trying to get people together, come back together, get back into the office. But it's it's a it's definitely a fine line. Well, and there are so many other ways to provide employee perks. Like so, for example, when I worked at L'Oreal, one of my favorite perks was they brought in this amazing massage therapist every Thursday. And then there was so much demand. She came in every Tuesday and Thursday. And we had to pay for it, right? It wasn't like it was completely free so everyone could get a massage twice a week, but they provided her space. She had essential oils. They managed the signups. We went in there. And so for 20 minutes, you got to sit in the chair and choose your essential oil and get a massage. That is so much better than bringing alcohol around to every single desk at the end of the day when people are picking up their kids and driving home. Oh, my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48, so if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Oh, that that like um, bar happy hour cart. I remember that. And and I know I, I sent you to this other stat of like, yeah. oh, 500 plus employers that still have this unlimited, you know, tap of beer open, you know, all hours of the day. And I think... I think like you mentioned, there are people, you know, even though all of the statistics say no amount of alcohol is healthy, you and I 
like oh, zero. That, that is the yeah. new zero is healthy. But at the same time, it's not saying, you know, demonizing alcohol to say, like, I live in reality. You and I both yeah. live in reality. And this is like how, how it is. It's, you know, being aware that that type of those events, that type of like perk is promoting drinking for certain people where, so if a bar cart comes around to a normie, they might be like, you know, take it or leave it kind of thing. Like Although maybe- it's awkward. You are encouraged. You are somewhat pressured. Right. Because people, if there's a bar cart there, they're like, really, you're not going to drink. Why aren't you? Have and one. I got to go home. I got to go pick up my kid. Whereas, you know, drinking Tessa, I saw that as a green light to say, okay, this is my like, okay to like start indulging on the company dime. And it's, again, it's promoting that where there are certain people where it really does become a problem. And I think for me, how it started with me in the corporate world was, it was kind of like the seed that was planted for me that this is like, this is okay. These people are my friends, my coworkers, where I am able to let loose. And then all of a sudden I was letting loose to the point where I'm you know, blacking out at a company function and ending up in a bathroom, having to be driven home. I mean, I've had many of those situations where it's like, and again, I take now personal responsibility for, for the things that, but it's like that type of drinking and overindulging was normalized. Hangovers were normalized. There's these hangover free, you know, there's these hangover PTO days that employers offer. Again, is that true? I saw you post about that. That employers are offering hangover leave. It is so, and and that was something that was around even, you know, when I was, um, you know, five years ago, it was not called that, but it was the day after a company function automatically given off as a day to take off because the employer assumed that everyone would be hungover or that was the, that was the, that was what everyone said was happening. And so it kind of gives that green light to people that are problematic drinkers to say, like, you're you're basically giving us that moment to say, okay, this is okay. And my behavior is okay because everyone else is doing it. When in reality, not everyone is actually hungover on that day. But in my mind, and I know a lot of people, you know, this is the way we think is that yes, everyone's hungover, everyone yeah. blocked out. And that's absolutely not the truth. Yeah. But it's in, in, as an employer, it's just such a dangerous, dangerous um, way to set your culture up. It's just so yeah. harmful. And well, and the thing way. is too, that, you know, we talk about this all the time, how society has completely normalized binge drinking and daily drinking. And when your company is doing it with those day day off afterwards or the the Uber's home, like, yes, that is fabulous to keep your employees safe. And it is also another indication that you, you know, it's normalizing binge drinking. It's normalizing drinking to the point where you're not safe to drive home. And I say this as someone who was the queen of binge drinking at work events. Like I am in no way saying, oh my God, these people are so bad. What I am saying is that when you realize that drinking is an issue and when you're like, shit, I really got to stop, it makes it incredibly hard to do so with the popular culture. The other thing I was going to say, when drinking is such a big part of the company culture, um, I was actually worried when I was like, shit, I got to stop drinking. I got to take a break. This is, this is not good. I can't moderate. I was more worried about having negative consequences at work from stopping drinking and what people quote unquote might think of me. Then I was in the fact that like on business trips, on dinners, I was stumbling and like scratching up my leg on the way home from dinner with my boss and my colleagues, right? That is crazy. I was more worried about like what people would think if I stopped drinking or that I wouldn't be able to bond with people than having truly inappropriate conversations, gossiping, slightly toxic, talking about my boss, not remembering shit in the morning, right? Uh, Sharing things as a director that I should not be sharing. 
I was more worried about what people would think if I stopped drinking. And yes, part of that is me as a drinker being like, oh my God, they're all going to know I have a problem. As opposed to a health kick because it is completely bad for your health. So taking a break from alcohol is like way better for your body than even running a marathon. But that just goes to show how normalized drinking is in our society. Oh, it's like that just so relatable. I mean, that is exactly how I felt for so long. And I mean, that goes back to the stigma of it's a very black and white and most HR policies and employers see it that way, that it's either you drink this poison in moderation and keep your shit together, or we have these policies to reprimand you and send you to rehab if needed. It's buried in the policies where it's very black and white. There's no in between. And in reality, there's this whole population of gray area drinkers that may or may not develop, you know, some may go on to be able to moderate. I believe there's a very small percentage of people that can do that, but others will eventually, it's just a matter of time because we all know it's a spectrum. And so it's, it's like when it's a matter of when it will happen. Yeah. And I think employers that can recognize that, and it's about showing that you value your employees at whatever stage, because that 20 year old, that may have an issue in her forties will remember how they were treated at that time when they did have this, you know, gray area situation, they will remember how you put them, the person first, rather than saying like, you know, putting the substance as like a company, you know, free beer as company morale. Yeah. Well, so talk to me about the policies as they are now or as they used to be from someone who worked in HR and benefits, because I know that if you were to go away, quote unquote, because you had to go to rehab or because you had a major issue, that was very hush hush. That was very, this is not good. This is bad. You know, this is going to hurt your career. And yet if there were, I mean, so many of us are on the gray area drinking spectrum, if there was awareness uh, and benefits to help you, you know, talk to a counselor, cut down on alcohol consumption, offer some, you know, benefits to not drinking alcohol, that would really be helpful. Yeah. And I think you and I both know an employer or HR is likely the last person that you're going to go to. Oh, God, yes. And so I think the policies now, I mean, the the traditional policies are there in place for those people that hit, you know, they're not showing up to work. They're, they're, um, you know, alcohol is really impacting their daily lives and they're needing it like to physically survive. You're you're suspecting that they're drinking at work or drunk at work or emanating the smell of alcohol, which isn't the vast majority of people that who, is are, the, who are drinking. I mean, that is like, that is when it's, it's too late at that point. That is like the ending point. And the, that's there. And there are systems set up for that where people, I think people also don't realize that they can, um, there's a lot of protections in place for privacy, um, for leave and for being treated just as any other illness. So people can take, Let, can we dig into that? for a while because I didn't know. And you're almost afraid to ask what the policies and protections are, or you just assume that it is terrible. So just so we know kind of what the policies are right now, will you tell us about that? Like the benefits? I mean, so on a basic level, most plans will, um, well, the employers have to treat, it's a medical condition. So every it's protected by HIPAA. There's no like there's no sharing of that private health information. And if your company offers some type of short term um, disability, there's rehab um, coverage in a lot of different plans. It really depends on the company and their policy and what's included. What's cool now is that a lot of employers are offering these other benefits, like there's a Lira restart program, there's um, Monument, there's all these other programs that employers are including. I think RIA Health is another one. I'm just, I'm not affiliated with any of these in any way, but I just know of them. Um, But as you know, it's not a one size fit all recovery and people um, need what's most needed 
before all of that are the mental health benefits. Yes. And all of the statistics are showing how um, alcohol related mental health claims have gone up over 50% in the past couple years. And so having a robust mental health program is really what will help people to get into that readiness of change. Because I know, I don't know about you, but I spent I mean, that was the majority of my work. It was always something else was wrong. It was not the alcohol. There was something yeah. else. It was like I, there was something else going on. So it was many years of that self-discovery before I came to the point where I realized it was alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> but that, take, that takes a lot of mental health, you know, benefits and claims to like get that coverage. So yeah. I think just making sure that um, you access, have access to that and, I mean, on the other flip side of it, there's a shortage. There's not enough therapists to um, to cover all of that. So employers have, you know, offering any type of perk benefit and related to like coaching with what you do and with other coaching platforms like BetterUp. I mean, there's so much out there now um, that's available and that your employer might already be offering. It's about asking. And if you don't feel comfortable asking HR at your company, most employers have a broker and those brokers will have something like an advocate where it's a third party that you can call or just call the insurance company directly. So if you have like a Blue Cross, you know, Cigna, Aetna, you can always just call directly to find out what, you know, rehab benefits, what programs are included in the medical plan. But all those ancillary, like the other programs that I mentioned, those are like extras that you would find in your benefits program um, at work or by calling um, the benefits broker. I think that is a great suggestion and information that a lot of people listening to this may not know about. One thing that I think would be really helpful, and I'm, I'm glad you're talking to companies about this, is, you know, if you do work for a corporate company or even schools or even smaller companies, a lot of times sort of annually, they have a company-wide meeting where they talk about the benefits, they talk about the premiums, what's included, if they switch to company, et cetera. And a lot of times they'll go through short-term disability, long-term disability, how many chiropractor appointments you get. And by the way, I love chiropractors. Um, how many massage appointments you get if they have an online health counselor, if they kind of include it in there. Hey, if you're, if you feel like you're drinking too much or you want to cut back, we also cover these various programs just as unawareness that it is a health issue that people go through or even, you know, people talk about mental health or if you're dealing with end of life care of a parent or, you know, a kid who has behavioral issues or is on a spectrum, just the awareness that this is yet another thing that your employees struggle with and that if you were to provide help with, they would be better able to be a great employee, to have energy, to have mental clarity, to struggle less. Yeah. And I think there's a fear. I mean, there's a traditional EAP employee assistance program that um, is talked about in those open enrollment meetings. And I think there is a fear that employee employers are tracking that and somehow know. So like we were talking about the employers, the last person, it's the stigma that if they know I have this problem, then I'm not going to get the promotion. I'm not going to be able to do yeah. this. And the reality is they're not tracking that information. They aren't. So they, they are know not. if you they're do not your EAP for marriage counseling, they don't know if you use it for um, legal options. They don't know if you use it for alcohol counseling, coaching support programs or anything else. No. And honestly, I, and I say that, no, there's not, they get an aggregate report that I used to look at all the time. And it just shows the number of people that called in. It has no names or anything like that. So it's, it's all protected by HIPAA. The, the, my only hesitation with saying EAP is just because Again, the lack of availability of therapists and quality um, people out there to really help with this type of situation. I think it's just important for employers to realize that am I look when they're looking at their benefits program as that approaches a lot of them are January 1st, am I providing adequate benefits? Is the EAP enough? Is there, you know, there's these added on programs that you can add on to the AAP to make sure that it, it is providing adequate support because it's not just the people with the substance abuse. It's 
having that support for their husbands, for their dependents, for their children, like you said, because I know for me, I am a much better, I mean, still have my, our problems, but I'm a much better spouse, wife, mother now that I no longer have, you know, this issue with alcohol. And, and that's a big deal for my husband. He's more productive. He's able to like, you know, not have to take off work because of some situation where I have to go pick up my car downtown. Like it's like, I mean, the list goes on of like how much productivity is lost by not addressing this issue for employers. Like it just blows my mind, the focus that it's not a thing, because if you look at the data and how much, I mean, these like hangover days, how much people miss work because of hangovers, how much um, is spent on benefits. And that's just what is reported, which is crazy because do you know, I mean, how many times did you show up to work? I was about to say, like I used to quote unquote work from home or not feel well or call in sick often because I was hungover. And maybe I shouldn't say often, but like certainly eight times a year. You know what I mean? Like where I was just not feeling well because I was hungover and I would work from home. You know, when I was in my early 20s, I used to work for a consulting firm where, you know, they brought in 25 kids right out of college every single year in a class. And we worked super long hours. We worked weekends. And, you know, 80% of the company was under the age of 27. So we used to drink a lot, come in and like nap under our desks, <laughs> which was very cool. Um, when I worked at Getty Images, I went down to the LA office and drank so much before client meetings that I was like throwing up in the office bathroom before going to work meetings. And I say this because I'm not the only one, you know, we talk to each other. Like I was not an isolated case of someone who been strength and it definitely affected my work performance. Um, but even if I had been educated about gray area drinking or um, ways to cut back or the health benefits, I mean, when I was drinking a lot, I was completely clueless about this kind of stuff. I really was. Oh, yeah. And that is, I mean, that goes back to it's not it's not the center of things, but making sure. So for you and I, then it was so normalized. And I think a lot of employers now are realizing that there are certain departments, obviously like sales departments are probably more on this side or or tech companies, but it really is the responsibility of the employer to make sure that is not the center of whatever is happening, um, you know, outside at these corporate retreats or different places that it's, it's not all about the alcohol mm-hmm. so that it's not as normalized. So people yeah. are going to be hang, hungover. People are going to show up hungover. It's just the fact of like, I would sit there. I don't know if you would do this, but I would sit there and try and pull people to see like, are you as hungover as me? Cause I wanted the justification that I was, yeah. you know, quote unquote, quote normal. And that, yeah. that is like something that, can a culture of that not being okay yeah. will help the person. I mean, no matter what, there's going to be substance abuse. I mean, we yeah. can't avoid it, but to have it not be as normalized will help somebody to hopefully at the end of the day, get help sooner. And that's the goal of all of this. Is well, just part of it also support. is normalizing, not drinking, normalizing being yes. alcohol free, right? Which sounds crazy, but it's true. This isn't about shaming anyone who is hungover or shaming anyone who drinks a lot. I was there, but it is about making it perfectly normalized. You know, we talk about normalizing sobriety, right? Not being pressured to drink, offering other options, having that be part of the conversation. Um, And I think that's so much more important now than ever before you, um, you know, not only in terms of society, but also in terms of like the bottom line of companies, because you sent me a report that actually did not surprise me at all, that alcohol related medical claims increased by 34% during the pandemic, and the top four mental health related conditions that increased 
were depressive disorders, sleep-wake disorders, and alcohol-related and opioid-related disorders. It's just insane. And again, it it's how employers can turn a blind eye to this. I think what's um, might be going through employers' mind, again, I don't think this is like an intentional thing. I just don't think that the unintentional cost of how a company structures their culture and, and different ways they go about business, I don't think they realize that a lot of that can be avoided. Not all of it. Not all yeah. of it can be avoided. And a lot of those claims are not reported. Because if you think about the therapy that I did, that I just paid out of pocket, or you know, all of these different things where um, the conditions at the very top, after you have a serious health claim like that, the consequences and the mental health consequences of that, that's like not even being wrapped into those numbers. Yeah. I mean, um, I never admitted to anyone at work how much I was drinking, but I was going to therapy for anxiety, for depression, for overwhelm. I was occasionally going to my boss in tears being like, I can't go on this business trip. There is so much work to do. And the truth is I was strung so tight because of my drinking that I couldn't cope. I would never say that, but just normalizing like, hey, lots of people struggle with this, especially after the pandemic. It is, you know, normal that people are drinking more than is healthy and it's impacting mental health. We have benefits to help you cut back, stop quit, whatever you need, just normalizing that conversation. Yeah. And I think it is like so important to have the support available and have managers being like training managers and um, everyone in HR that are likely a lot of normies that they just understand the impact of these small things that happen on a company level make a really big impact. So having somebody, maybe there's an executive in recovery that would be willing to speak at some type of offsite that will go so far. That is like better than any, you know, 20 morale boosting pizzas that you can buy. That will go so long. I just imagine like 25 year old me have listening to that, that would stick stick with me. That would tell me this company is people first. They care about me. This person is sharing their story Mm -hmm. or even having somebody like you and I, you or I come in and speak, I think is like, would speak volumes to say like, we support people who have gone through this. If you're struggling here is what you can do and offering. I mean, and it can be as small as like, Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it, or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings, or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com 
You can start at any time and I would love to see you in the course. I mean, there are just so much, there's so many resources and having HR understand that it's not just rehab, AA, you know, there's this in between and there needs to be so much more education around that. I mean, not just for HR. I mean, I think for like meta, we could get into a whole thing about like doctors and, you know, Oh my God. I was just about to say, you know, HR and managers do need to be educated in the same way that doctors do Mm -hmm. and nurses in terms of just knowing that there is this spectrum of people on the alcohol use disorder spectrum that is way larger than they believe it is. And that it isn't just you're a quote unquote alcoholic versus there is no issue here. This is something that people need support with in the same way that they do in anything else. And one thing that I imagine, although I have to say that some of the most painful training I ever went through in corporate is like, the sexual harassment trainings with the awful, awful videos. And oh my God, at L'Oreal, we had some with like financial things that weren't acceptable or sort of like gifts and bribes and the videos. Oh my God, so painful and awful that you had to check off. But just part of the conversation in terms of what's acceptable with sexual harassment and part of the conversation about burnout of the conversation about alcohol use disorder, just educating people would be hugely helpful. It is. And the, yeah, you for sure would cut back on a lot of those incidents, the sexual harassment incidents. Just when I think people do, I think that it is not in every um, company, but I think that the education that's been going on for the last 20 years has certainly made people much more aware of things that you cannot say that were just commonplace back in the day when I started. Right. Yeah. And it it is for sure. I know it's changed so much and, and I know employers are doing a lot just from the programs that I see that are available and that employers are purchasing to support their employees. Um, So there is so much, but it's, it goes further. I, I'm seeing a lot out there of employers just saying like for an event, the code of conduct, you don't have to drink. Yeah. Okay. It's like one thing to say it, like you don't have to drink Thanks, but it's like, what, <laughs> like that, it's not very helpful. So yeah. again, it's like creating this environment where everyone feels included and included um, in, you know, different events and in general um, at work will go a long way because they'll feel more supported. Like they're, it's a people first culture. Yeah. Yeah. And I know at different companies I've been with, sometimes they had, you know, yoga classes midday at various places or you know, did off sites where it was sort of team building challenges and, you know, you're outdoors in the woods and granted, like lots of people don't like those, <laughs> meaning yeah. like I had to climb up. It was like a ropes course and apparently I'm afraid of heights. Like my leg was shaking like crazy and I, they took pictures and I looked awful in those little hats, the helmets, but neither here nor there. There are other options than going to a winery. Yeah, for sure. And those those morale boosting events, I think are great. But also remembering like, to specifically say, maybe it's just, instead of the holiday, we're going to give you a $100 gift card to go, you know, take care of yourself the way you need to, or take the Friday afternoon off and do something that you want to do that makes like fills your cup. I think those types of, you know, giving people, letting them have their space with the, you know, going back to the quiet quitting. It's like, it's like people are not feeling valued as workers. And how do you go back to recognizing that they're people with needs and have lives outside of work and, and those types of perks go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to mention, as you mentioned, bringing in people in different organizations, One thing that I love that Lisa Smith, who wrote Girl Walks Out of a Bar, and I did interview her on this podcast and we talked about it. So I'll link to that. 
she is a lawyer and she is actually brought in to different law firms and practices to talk about alcohol abuse, drug abuse within the specific uh, law community because it is so rampant and talking about options and just normalizing the conversation. And I think that's amazing because they, people do change when they know more, you know, and they don't feel like they're the only one and you couldn't possibly tell people what you're doing because it is so bad or everyone's doing it. Right, right. And it it is, it it takes that one person and that is, it's such a big deal. Just one person sharing their story. I mean, that's what is helps us. I think that's why we go to meetings and it's like sharing is so powerful. Mm -hmm. So powerful. It doesn't have to be, again, there's people like you and I that (laughs) are willing to do this because not everyone, there's a reason. And it took me a while. To be able to do this, right? (laughs) My first like three years, I was just like, oh, I'm healthier without alcohol. Like, you know, I was not out. Yeah. Yeah. But it goes a long way if, if, if they're, um, if companies, you know, bring people in that are willing to share those, those stories, you know, regardless if you have a problem with alcohol, they are powerful, very powerful. Yeah. And I love that, like, so for example, the Washington Post, and I'll link to this in the show notes, did write stories as have many others, and I'll link to them as well, you know, stating, does your workplace have a drinking culture and a problem? And talked about, do you hold a number of your business meetings in bars? Do you regularly take new recruits out drinking as part of their rite of passage? And asked, okay, what's a problem? with a drinking culture at work, and then stated that alcohol abuse can be very costly. There obviously are accidents and safety when operating machinery, but beyond that, for people who aren't in those fields, lost productivity. Substance abusers are 10 times more likely to miss work, 33% less productive even when they're at work, and the cost of replacing employees cost anywhere from 25% to 200% of their compensation. And I love that the Washington Post shared this about higher healthcare expenditures for, you know, that drive up premium, um, all those kinds of things, because, you know, a lot of companies are motivated by the bottom line. And the people who are, you know, the managers, the directors, the head of groups, uh, even HR, who are arranging the company events in bars or taking new recruits out for drinks, they may not be aware of it. So when companies know that this impacts productivity, their bottom line, their premiums, their healthcare claims, they're more likely to talk about it. Yeah. And I think that that's the, that's the rub is that employers want people to socialize. They want to create that culture. And, and traditionally that has been done through alcohol. And again, there are people that can consume it in a normal quote unquote unquote. normal way, but um, it's the, the unintentional costs that really can creep in. But I think that we will start seeing, like, I remember I would see like the smoking cessation benefit. There's going to be something that's just like automatic and standard and a thing. And then, I mean, my dream, and I know our hope in the recovery community is that alcohol will be like smoking one day Mm -hmm. that it's kind of like, not that cool anymore. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. maybe that is, I mean, that would be my hope that it is like, this is the reality today, but you know, that smoking cessation, we're going to see that come into play where it is no longer, no longer a thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, also sexual harassment issues and other issues like definitely come up more often when it's a huge drinking environment as well. Right. And employers are quick to slip, want those to, you know, push those under the rug because, you know, they don't want any HR issues, but 
is it really worth it to offer, yeah. you know, pull your employees up with booze and deal with all those, you know, legal consequences to yeah. me, it just seems like a no brainer that it's no longer, it's just not working anymore. Yeah. It's no longer this like morale boosting, enticing way to get employees to like work harder, you know, play harder. That's like the one red flag that I, I say, like if an employer says we work hard, play hard, that's like, ah. <laughs> oh, I know. Right. And so many people do that. Right. That's like the line. Right. And that's like, that's red flag. That's like, a culture of, yeah, culture of drinking, stay away. Yeah, (laughs) I know. And there is actually, I mean, there's so much of that language that actually shapes the culture of companies unintentionally, intentionally. One of my favorite companies that, you know, Seattle is the land of startups and tech, but there is a company here called Textio that reviews the language that employers use in performance reviews and in job descriptions to change it because so many of the words used turn off women and attract men just by the words and the language they use. And it also can hurt women in performance reviews when all the stats show that often women are better managers and produce better bottom line profits and all the things. So I love that that company exists. And I also think that as you're shifting the language around that, some of those sort of coded words for we drink a lot. And if you don't drink, you won't be a culture fit, right? You love that culture fit words. Um, you might be screening out people who would be fantastic additions to the company. Yeah. I think people who, I mean, I just know myself, I'm so much more productive and get stuff done now that I don't drink. Yeah. It's like, I don't want people like that, that can actually like wake up and go to work every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But So what can people do? to change the drinking culture at their workplace or to navigate it? Yeah, I think as an individual that might be struggling to step one would be if you feel comfortable going to HR, just asking for your benefits brochure and, and what um, programs are not only in, you know, rehab, if that's necessary in, um, in the plan, but also these ancillary programs like um, Lyra, all these other programs that the employer might have, coaching, some employers reimburse for different types of coaching programs. Try out your EAP. A lot of them have these enhanced programs now on top of the EAP that are better than, you know, what we have seen, the three-visit model that um, is it has been around forever. Um, so as and then again, if you're not comfortable going to your HR department, Um, asking for uh, the broker information, a third party to call or call um, the programs directly. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, um, yeah, as, as an employer, I think step one, like you talked about, is that awareness. I mean, any HR professional or employer that's listening to this right now, I think that is huge just to be aware of these small things that really can make a huge impact on how employer employees perceive you and this whole quiet quitting movement. It really is this, um, you know, substance abuse, alcohol is so tied to um, employers culture. And it's just important. I have um, resources available that I can send over for you to link for different yeah. employers on these different ideas that we talked about for holiday parties and different retreats and events. So I, I have um, a tip sheet that I can send you. Please do. And then again, having somebody that is well-versed and can speak about your benefits program um, and knows about substance abuse and recovery Um Uh, hiring somebody to do that during open enrollment, which is also something that I can provide is another major, major um, step one, I think, for any employer. And a lot of people who are listening to this may be in early sobriety, longer alcohol-free, and yet are still working in a drinking culture. I wanted to mention that some small shifts that they could even take are very helpful. So 
a lot of times I know in the companies I worked with, there was sort of an employee morale committee or they had free, not free, anonymous suggestion boxes. So you could certainly submit something that says, or, you know, I would love it if non-alcoholic beverage options were provided at various company events, or it would be great if we didn't hold company events in drinking establishments for people who don't consume alcohol, not to say you can't offer it, but where it is not the primary option. I know that a lot of people who work with vendors, I was in marketing, we always had vendors send us gifts at holiday time. And a lot of times they involved alcohol. I know that some clients of mine have been thrilled when they get gifts that don't include alcohol, just have other options, which are wonderful. And there are a lot out there. So, you know, not having the head of the department go around and ask people what they want, you know, to drink, because there is some inherent pressure. You know what I mean? So there's a lot there. Maybe if you go out not ordering multiple bottles of wine for the table at a working event, you know, just those kinds of things that normalize not everyone drinks. Not everyone drinks and just know that. I love that so much. I also love the like option of the base is just a drink and then having alcohol be optional to add. So yeah. it's like everyone just gets this beautiful garnished drink and then the alcohol is optional. Yeah. It's like, why can't that just be? <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. Like that is just so, it seems so basic, but it's yeah. like, let's just create the base with no toxins and then yeah. add it if you really want it. Yeah. But and just, just being aware. I mean, I think that what will help as well is just this conversation that's going on. And it really is changing even the last five years, both the conversation about the fact that during the pandemic, binge drinking among women went up by 41%. And that drinking among parents of children under five went up 320%. And when that study showed that alcohol-related medical health claims went up 34%, the actual death rate of women from alcohol-related problems was growing at a rate of 2% a year to 3% a year. In 2020, it went up year over year by 25%. This is not a small problem. This is a public health pandemic that nobody is talking about. Yeah. And employers can do a lot to help to reduce some of that. And they have a responsibility to put people first and to realize that this is such a huge issue. I'm so grateful for you, Casey, and everything that you're doing. This is like, just, I don't even know if you know how many like people this is reaching. It's just like, makes me want to cry. It's amazing. Well, I'm so grateful for everything you're doing. I mean, I'm so glad we met. I'm so glad we became friends. I'm glad we live like, what, 20 minutes apart. Um, But also, I think that the work you're doing in spreading the word with HR, with employers, with your work in the TikTok uh, sober mom community is so helpful. And I have to mention that as I said earlier, Tessa created this amazing training for my online sobriety starter kit course. That's a bonus. That's on step-by-step how to overcome alcohol cravings in early sobriety. And I hope that in this interview, you've seen how approachable and real and cool Tessa is. I think that she breaks it down in a very relatable way that is easy to follow and really helps you succeed in not drinking when all of your sort of habits and instincts are telling you to. So thank you for that as well. Of course. I hope people find it useful. Yeah, I know they will. All right. Well, send me all those links. I want to include everything. I hope, again, anyone who works in a drinking culture, who listens to this, found some helpful tips, some ideas about ways to navigate or change that culture anyone in HR or benefits, if you want to get in touch with Tessa or want to take these tips, 
I will have her information in the show notes of this episode. And anyone in a position of leadership at any company can help. You can help change this culture. You can help highlight benefits uh, related to both mental health and alcohol use disorder or just cutting back on drinking within your benefits. But like my husband, you also can just say, hey, we're having a big event, a holiday party or whatever back back to work event. Let's make sure we have a table or bar options that are actually highlighted for non-alcoholic options in addition to alcoholic options. And I have to mention that the non-alcoholic beer, wine, spirits um, market is exploding. So when you do this, you are not an outlier. There is a demand for these beverages. Every alcohol company is um, concerned about all the health information coming out there because, dear God, people are starting to believe that alcohol is not good for their health in any way. But also they're like, shit, we've got to create a non-alcoholic option. And I'm talking about Heineken and Guinness and all those in addition to the amazing craft breweries and spirits and wineries that are creating just non-alcoholic options. And they are so good. They so are good. so good. Yeah. All right. Thank you. This has been amazing. Thank you so much, Casey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.